the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Some people ask questions from the Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of The Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. Welcome, everyone, to the Bible Live broadcast. I'm so glad you're along with us, and we are ready to go. I mean, this is going to be a great, great uh, week and a great, great time. We're moving now uh, this past week in our readings through the Bible, and that's what the Bible Live is all about. If you don't know, and if you maybe you just ran across this station as you're tooling across South Texas or the highways and byways of the great city of San Antonio, Texas, uh, maybe you don't know about the Bible Live. It's a unique opportunity you have to read through the entire Bible every year. And what I mean by unique is that you don't have to do the reading. I'll read it for you. Uh, we have already recorded the entire New Living Translation of the Scriptures, a good, clear, modern version of the, of, of the Old and New Testaments of the Bible. And you can go Monday through Friday, every weekday. We we began this uh, project on the radio, so that it's uh, formatted for radio broadcast. We did that for 15 years, about 15 years, from 2001 to 20, I believe it was 15, about 15 years. Uh, on the radio, you, we could read the Bible to you here on your radio, but we've moved it. Uh, some years ago, about five, six, seven years ago, to the internet. So you go to thebiblelive dot com, and on that first uh, page of the website, you'll see uh, yours truly there. The uh, uh, the soapsters right there on the front, and um, so you can see that. Uh, flag and the prairies of, of Texas and so on. But then if you just scroll down a bit from that first page, whether you're on your laptop or on your desktop computer or uh, wherever you might be, however you get online, perhaps your cell phone, your smartphone, or other uh, instrument, you can just uh, scroll down a bit, and there you have our readings for any given week. Uh, Monday through Friday, and you can uh, click on those. Now, on the right, just tiny bit below that, you you have the, you can click on today's reading, 
and and it'll give you the reading for that particular day. And it'll start right up, and you'll hear our intro. You'll hear what we do on the Bible Live broadcast, just so that you'll know what you'll hear when you do get uh, when you do go to thebiblelive.com is you will hear uh, one of the broadcasts. It's a, We have an intro. We have uh, four different intros. One of them is patriotic, one of them historic, one of them uh, just different emphasis highlighting the uniqueness of the Bible, the Scriptures, why they are important to us as individuals. And so you have a, uh, an intro, then I'll, your friendly host, your Apache host, will come on and give you a greeting. And we'll uh, get started. And then I introduce, I tell you a little bit about what the readings are going to be for that program uh, very quickly. Then we introduce what we call our wisdom and worship segment. We read through the Psalms and the Proverbs in that first uh, segment, about a two to three minute, usually two to three minute reading of one of the Psalms or the Proverbs. And uh, just to kind of prepare our hearts and worship, it highlights the character and the the attributes of of the God of the Bible, and of course, often there's some real uh, some meat in there. There's some doctrinal and theological meat, and mainly just inspirational, lifting our eyes and lifting our hearts to God in worship. And so, our wisdom and worship segment finishes, and we go to uh, we segue out with a little music, and then we go into a, a brief explanation of where we are. In our narrative reading, when we read through the other books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Chronicles. In other words, we go through the. We've already read through this year the law, the books of Moses, the law of Moses, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible. We've already read through them, and and then we went to we caught Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and we went to the first book of the New Testament. The Gospel of Matthew, uh, Leviticus, and Numbers, uh, Numbers and Deuteronomy. I'm sorry, Numbers and Deuteronomy, and then uh, we went back and caught the second book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Mark. That's the way we do. We kind of bounce back and forth uh, uh, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, making our way through both the Tanakh, the Hebrew Scriptures, and the New Testament as well. So we've read um, pretty good ways now already. We're in, we're just finishing up this last week. We finished up the book of Second Samuel. Uh, we got into the books of history following the time of Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. Then we got into this transition person, uh, Samuel, who transitions us to the era of the prophets and the time of the kings instead of the judges. And so uh, we read Second Samuel. He, uh, he was used by the Lord to select Saul and anoint Saul as the first king of Israel for 40 years. And then uh, after Saul, he also anointed the seventh son of Jesse, uh, named David, young King David. He was anointed to be king of Israel uh, when he was probably 12 to 14 years of age and had to wait 25 years for that anointing to become a reality. And, of course, we followed all the, the amazing history and story of this young man, David, 
serving in Saul's palace, uh, fleeing from Saul. Saul began to uh, pursue him and to uh, threaten his life because Saul wanted his son Jonathan uh, to be the next king. And uh, it just wasn't going to be. Jonathan, meanwhile, was forming a tremendous friendship with David. And um, so it's just filled with drama and back and forth and ups and downs and great, great stories, of course, beginning with uh, uh, David and Goliath, the the giant that David slew with his uh, slingshot. Uh, and, uh, oh, other great, great stories all about how uh, about David generally and how God preserved him and kept him and how he continued to follow and trust in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, even as he was being pursued and persecuted, knowing that he was to be the next king. So he, But he chose to do it God's way. He didn't take t- matters into his own hands and uh, kill Saul, which he had every, I guess you would say, would you say he had a right to kill Saul, Johnny? Saul was trying to kill him, beginning with, you know, throwing a spear at him in in his palace and then later on pursuing him with his forces and his military. And uh, there were several, but but David had several opportunities to kill Saul, uh, really clear, specific opportunities, uh, but would not do it because he chose to do, he said, I will not touch God's anointed. Saul was anointed and chosen to be the king of Israel. If God, if, if God wants him removed, God's going to remove him. He's not going to, I don't. Ha- I don't need to do it. So that's a remarkable person, this young King David. And uh, but he waits twenty five years, and, he's, and then he's not quite so young as he was. But then Saul, uh, he, Saul is killed by the Philistines. David becomes king. It takes him seven years to become king of the whole nation. At first, he's only un- acknowledged as king of Benjamin and Judah, the two tribes of the south. Uh, of which he is um, from the tribe of Judah, as you know, David is. And then after about seven, seven and a half years, he is acknowledged as king over all of the 12 tribes of Israel. And he introduces them into the what is called the golden age of Israel, the, the greatest, most influential, the richest, most prosperous era in the history of Israel under King David. He does not build the temple itself, but he gathers the resources for it. And his son Solomon then is the one who actually constructs the first temple there uh, in Israel. A, a beautiful, g- genuinely remarkable uh, construct. And so uh, that we we finished up the book of Second uh, Samuel. There are a few things that we covered in the, on the first day of this past week, Monday. We read Second Samuel chapters twenty-two through twenty-four, the last chapters of Samuel, and we can discuss those a bit just to just finish up our discussion of of the uh, the books of First and Second Samuel. But then on Tuesday, just in time for Easter coming up, Palm Sunday today. And by the way, happy Palm Sunday. That's a remarkable day. We were talking a little bit about it here in the studio, John and I. John is our uh, board op, and he gives some great music, and he just... he. Thank you. You bet you. And he uh, he jumps in every now and then. We force him into some of our biblical theological discussions, and uh, 
And uh, so we were. I'll let your caller do that. Yeah, our callers. That's you see what he's doing. He's he's getting the attention away from himself onto you. Deflecting. And deflecting, it's called. So uh, give us a call if you'd like, 210-340-9585. 210-340-9585. That's our call-in number during the next 90 minutes. You can join with us as we discuss yeah, we now here on Sunday evening. We'd, we're going to, what did you say? You've got, you've got a call on. I have already have a call on there that I need to bring up in just a moment, and I will. It's my beautiful, lovely daughter, Stacy, who is my co-host here on the program. Let's go ahead and bring Stacy into the conversation. Hello, my darling daughter and Hello. beautiful mom. How are, how's that newest little Matthews baby doing? How is Ellie? She's good. Is she, are we going to hear her gurgle and, and squeal a little you bit? Might. Right. We, we might. We got to get her on the radio. Or, yeah. Get her on the radio early, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. launch her yeah. career, right? She's well. She's definitely been practicing her her loud voice. She's, <laughs> <laughs> she's making herself heard. That's, oh, that's for sure. Funny. What is she? Three, three weeks old now. She's three weeks old as of Friday. Little yeah. baby girl, my little granddaughter named Ellie. Uh, so yeah. we're glad to have her. But on, we'll let her chime in whenever she wants. But, uh, <laughs> honey, right. we're glad to have you back on the air. You've been taking uh, a thanks. few days off because of being yeah. a new mommy. But we're so glad you were able to come back this evening. Just Thank in you. time for John's Gospel. And uh, that's uh, I'm really glad to have you along with me. Uh, Stacy knows everything Grandpa knows. And um, and more because she's a female and because she's of this new generation, the younger. I don't know about uh, that. I, well, I know what you mean, but I'm bragging on you a little bit. Uh, I, I'm so glad to have you really, truly. That I think it's that's where you can help most and, and contribute to our consideration of the scriptures is bringing that, that perspective, uh, the female point of view, and also the, the, a newer generation. And, and uh, we were talking about that a little bit tonight, how some, in some ways the newer generation you mentioned, you think that might be an actual little bit of an, a, of a, an advantage in some ways, the fact that the newer generation doesn't know quite as much perhaps about the scriptures already. They're not quite as much. Right. They're not churched. Quite, they haven't been right. many of them a lot, a long, long time in church. And you'd think that would be a disadvantage, but when it comes to understanding the scriptures, it could be a little bit of an advantage. Uh, talk a little bit to that, if you don't mind, Stacey, or how, how you oh, feel like well, that, that might be a, a help. Sure. I mean, I, and I don't, I, in no way, I, I mean, I think it's absolutely wonderful when someone is in the church for, since, from, they don't remember a time in their life when they haven't been a part of the church is, is I, I think, my prayer for Ellie, for sure, and for my young kids. And so I don't mean it um, in sure. the sense that, not having, not being in church is a good thing, but um, oh uh, yeah, you know, just. With but how could it be a how how could it sure. be a little bit of a help instead of a hindrance? Right, sure. Well, I mean, just like with any, uh, you know, it'd be like a professional athlete getting to train somebody without any bad habits, you know. Oh, I um, see. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's illustration. Or, yeah. yeah, kind of the idea. Um, 
especially, I guess, theologically or doctrinally, you know, sometimes you can pick up some some kind of incorrect doctrine or some bad um, habits of thought in the church, and it might stick for a long time, and, and it might not necessarily be biblically sound, though, and so having to maybe relearn some of that or to... Um, or to have something that you have just kind of made a habit, or not, I don't know about a habit, but um, for so for so long it can be it can be really tough when that's challenged. I mean, you can almost even see that in the New Testament with the Pharisees. You know, they had certain things that were so ingrained in them, and that were so a part of uh, not just. Uh, it, they were extra biblical, um, and it was really hard when Jesus confronted those things because it was such a part of of their. It had become so ingrained, it had become so intertwined with with scripture that they maybe thought it was scripture when it really wasn't. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you can hear her, but Ellie's making her. Yeah, her, it was more from the perhaps from the, from the Talmud <laughs> instead of from the scriptures themselves, for example. Right, or yeah, good, good, or just very good extra, example. Yeah. Sure, extra laws that they had um, imposed that weren't that weren't that weren't the original, <laughs> um, yeah. or that uh, anyway. And and we do that still today. Things that really aren't biblical, they're extra biblical, but we've gotten so attached to them, maybe in the church, or we've gotten so attached to them because of culture. Um, you know, maybe no. I don't know what an I what a what something might be, but uh, <laughs> and no. um, and so then when it's challenged or when it's not, it, you know, when it maybe isn't exactly it's not really scripture, it it can be really hard to change um, to let go of that and to change. Yeah. And um, so in a way, and maybe this is kind of you know when Jesus uh, is kind of relating it to our reading for this past week with John. And the woman at the well, you know, um, that might have been an especially hard message um, if it had been somebody like a Pharisee receiving that. Well, we've got the same. uh, In Chapter 3 of John, we read about Nicodemus, this Pharisee who is is astounded and amazed. And and, 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 uh, in some ways, it seems like he's open and he's he's admiring of Jesus in some ways and he's receptive and yet he comes to him by night because it's 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 not really the right. socially or politically correct thing to do to be palling around with Jesus of Nazareth but and, right. and so yeah so you got the, both of those illustrations are very good Nicodemus and yeah. the woman, uh, the uh, woman at, at the, the well. well yeah yeah it's kind of i mean on 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 the of course sadly um those that maybe aren't in the church, they don't have the good habits and the good discipline of, they have not inherited those, the good disciplines that come from church going and from, um, but but at the same time too, they might not have picked up the bad habits <laughs> so that right. can that can sometimes come with institutions and and or with things that are human and. Um, well, I think of another. I think of another uh, thing there as well, Stacy. Not necessarily, uh, um, and, and you're right. Uh, there are some, there are some bad or wrong perspectives. Now, I'm not saying evil. 
uh, like if somebody's intentionally being a, her- a heretic or teaching. Right, right. But there right. are some in there are some perspectives and some uh, understandings and ideas of about God, about the scriptures, about Jesus, uh, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Christology, uh, the aspect of theology that deals with. Uh, the Messiah. How how did God become a man? You know what what is involved mm-hmm. in that, and quite often I I think uh, it, it's sometimes it's not like uh, pastors have, are teaching uh, error or her- heresy about it. Uh, one of the things I was going to say is that sometimes you can pick up from sermons if if your your understanding of Scripture is totally based on just the summation of all the the uh, sermons you've heard and the discussions you've had in Sunday school and so on, uh, or even uh, the books you've read, it, it might be that you, you along in, in your thinking, you, you picked up and you've built up a little bit as you build your theology and your, your view of God and his ways, uh, you, you, there, there are blind spots, and there are spots that, well, you don't get exactly right, you, and you maybe don't have many occasions to think them through or, or discuss them at that level. Because sometimes in the congregation, in the church, uh, a pastor in his teaching or pastors in their teaching to the church, um, they are they end up kind of... Uh, ministering to the lowest common denominator. I, I I don't know how that sounds to everybody, but meaning that, you know, the, you're not able to go incredibly deep and thorough in your consideration because you're you're busy marrying people and burying people and taking care of people, new believers and, yeah. you know, baptizing and that sort of thing, um, washing feet, <laughs> whatever, you know, the, yeah. the different things we do. And they're not able to actually... They're ministering more at more of the common level with new believers and getting people involved and so on, and they aren't able to actually go like profoundly or deeply into the scriptures. And that's, of course, what we hope we are able to help furnish as, as we go through the entire Bible, verse, every verse, every chapter, every book of the Bible, every year, then we give people a chance to actually kind of not only read the stories, you know, David and Goliath and so on, but kind of go into the understanding of what was going on in and with and through that person at that moment, what was going on around that person as well, what were the consequences and the applications that we can gather from what was happening as God is dealing with his people in in, in that moment. And, and then also, finally, uh, from the big picture of what God is doing in the 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 long um, from throughout history, the 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 big narrative uh, redemptive plan of God that is being carried out uh, uh, over all of the happening in the Bible, Old and New Testaments, there is this one final narrative, the narrative of redemption. I will be their God; they will be my people. And, and it, it centers on this Messiah, this Redeemer, this Savior who would come and pay the penalty of sin on the behalf of mankind, uh, live a perfect life of faith, trust, and obedience, submission to the Father, and then he who knew, knew, knew no sin becomes a sin for us on our behalf. And so that's what we begin to celebrate, of course, in the New Testament, specifically through the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. But it's all prefigured and predicted in the Old Testament. 
And uh, so it helps as, as we kind of go through the whole Bible to maintain that perspective and see you kind of get a a, uh, a a broader appreciation for the for the whole narrative, not just the individual stories and their exciting and the individual applications, but the overall narrative of what God, who God is, and what He has done in human history to enable humanity to be reconciled to Him. Human beings can come into a personal relationship with the creator god himself and so we, we we're focusing on that and so that'll be part of our focus when we move to the gospel of john tonight in the new testament that'll be uh a, a really one of the delightful things we get to do as we come into the new testament and, and i'm really looking forward to that our phone number again is 210-340-9585 210-340-9585 the bible live call in line you're welcome to join us. Ask any question you'd like. Get, share with us some of your insights, your experiences with the Scriptures, uh, or question that you have about what it means to know and love God and experience God and, and the Scriptures. We'd be glad to visit with you about it. We may not have, we'll have a perspective, perhaps, an idea. If we don't know, we'll just say we don't know, and we'll try to, maybe mm-hmm. some of our other listeners can chime in and help with the perspective as well. So give us a call, 210 340 I want to prime the pump a bit with, I want to ask you a question tonight that we're going to discuss in the Gospel of John. John is a great gospel to talk about what we call Christology. Uh, Remember, Matthew emphasizes Jesus the King as he presents himself to uh, the people of Israel as their, uh, the King, the uh, the the Messiah that was promised to come through the lineage uh, of David. And so we have Jesus the King. And then Matthew, Mark was Jesus the servant, the the servant role uh, of the Messiah. Now, none of these are exclusive, but these are kind of the general perspective uh, of each of these uh, Gospels. Luke, the physician, the non-Jewish perspective, talks about Jesus, the, the Son of Man, Jesus, the humanity. Uh, in a sense, and John emphasizes the the deity, Jesus as the Son of God, and, and they're all three. All of those perspectives are so remarkable. We're gonna we're gonna visit about those tonight. But I want to ask you this question as we get into the program: What what made Jesus distinct from all other human beings? What is it about him? that made him distinct from other babies, from other toddlers, from young people, adolescents and teenagers. As a human being, what was it about Jesus that was distinct? Give me a call if you'd like to give me a thought about that. 210-340-9585 and the Bible Live will return right after this brief break. Don't you go anywhere. We'll see you back here in a few minutes. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Dr. Stan 
Shelton with offices at Loop 14 and Broadway has taken care of the Dollar family that's Suzanne and me plus our three children for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to DrShelton.com or call 590-7878. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. All glory, laud, and honor be to the eternal Son of God, to the Messiah himself, to our great and loving and gracious God. We are back. This is the Bible Live broadcast. Stacy is along with me, and by uh, phone, you can join us as well, 210-340-9585. We're ready to begin a little bit of our discussion. Let's finish up, Stace, if you don't mind. Uh, talk a little bit about these final chapters of the book of Second Samuel. Uh, it, it's just remarkable, the... the the incredible adventure of life as a child and servant of God. And we see that highlighted so beautifully in this young man named David, who was a man after God's own heart, we're told. And he's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, made some terrible, terrible mistakes. In fact, the entire book of Second Samuel ends with another great mistake on his part. You know, we know about... Uh, his uh, adultery with Bathsheba, Mm -hmm. who, by the way, it is thought I was trying to determine if Bathsheba herself was actually Jewish or Hebrew, but it is her husband was Uriah the Hittite. So it's unclear, basically. But again, it kind of highlights the idea that the whole point of Israel was not is not a genetic characterization. Obviously, there was some part of it that was to some degree social, uh, uh, genetic, because uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the children uh, of Jacob's name was changed to Israel in that sense, the 12 tribes of of, of Israel. But uh, so many over and over and over again came into, became a part of Israel by their conversion to mm-hmm. worship the true and living God, Jehovah. And, uh, and it could be that the Bathsheba was in that group. Her husband, Uriah, was a Hittite of one of the Canaanite uh, tribes or peoples who converted and to become even one of David's mighty men listed in the final chapters of 2 Samuel. So uh, anyway, we come to these final chapters. Uh, There were some wonderful stories. Remember the Gibeonites that deceived uh, early, early days of Joshua. We read about it when we read the book of Joshua. They they deceived Joshua and the leaders of that era by acting like they were coming from a far-off region. They dressed in old clothes and everything, and so they did not, you know, they did not get expelled as they should have been from the land as, as God had commanded. 
but they made a treaty with them, and so they became kind of a, they had a treaty with Israel. But then we see that Saul and his family now, many uh, decades, decades later here, century later, uh, they um, three hundred oh, about three three hundred fifty years later, Saul and his family they persecute the Gibeonites and even uh, kill a, a number of them, and, and uh, so that's part of the the, the failures. Uh, that Saul had is he didn't honor that treaty that they had made in right or wrong it had been a treaty so then we see the song of David written there in the book of 2nd Samuel uh, the psalm of David that we read in 2nd Samuel chapter um what chapter what what verse is 22 that? I believe chapter 22 uh, yes right you're mm-hmm, exactly right yeah it's also mm-hmm. listed as a psalm, well, let me ask our listeners. Maybe someone would like to try to guess, or, mm, or maybe they know. One, I think. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. that is a hard one. All the questions <laughs> tonight are going to be a little more uh, challenging. I think uh, maybe not, but uh, the song of David that is listed there in Second Samuel chapter twenty-two also appears as one of the psalms. Uh, of David in in the, the Psalms and the Proverbs, so I'm going to ask the question: What Psalm of David is in which Psalm of David is the song of David repeated <laughs> yeah. from Second Samuel chapter 22? So if you have an answer to that, you can give us a call two ten three four zero ninety five eighty five. Which that psalm is repeat that song of David is repeated as one of the psalms, and I'm asking you which psalm, what number of the psalm that the song of David is repeated in, and then chapter twenty three we have the listing of David's thirty mighty warriors. One of the great characteristics of David, Stacy, seems to be that he is a man's man. I mean, he's a guy who really. I mean, yes, he's a musician. Yes, there's a tender side, the romantic side, and, and so that sort of thing. But but he's also mm-hmm. a warrior, uh, and, and his men yeah. are incredibly loyal to him. They follow him, uh, and he's kind of a, a man's man, and he uh, has these mighty warriors that gathered around him. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Joab, his commander-in-chief, his, his uh, general, and others, even including Uriah, uh, and so we have a listing of them in in Second Samuel chapter twenty three. Mm-hmm. Then we have David final kind of, I guess you'd call it a big mistake, but uh, he in, initiates a, a census for the nation, mm-hmm. which is evidently, I get the idea that a census was was a thing that God sort of warned the kings and leaders of Israel away from taking a census yeah. my understanding is that part of it had to do with reducing people men to to numbers that was a part of the problem with it uh they were they he did command them to take census on on several occasions but evidently they were not to do it lightly or uh maybe pridefully talking about here's our great warriors here's all the our the size of our army so i guess so their their dependence and trust would not be on their army, the size of their armaments or their wealth or whatever, but on their their God. Uh, I'm guessing. I don't know. Well, do you have another thought about that? Why why was taking a census such a – it seemed like a very sensitive thing for them to do, and, and we see it here in the end of Second Samuel. Yeah, 
Yeah, I uh, especially when I mean the the covenant kind of the promise is that as it, he'll make you know, a great nation as numerous as the stars, and so number and kind of the an amount of comes into the conversation at least early on. So uh-huh. it's not as though is as not as though it's not important, or it's not as though uh, it's not um, that God doesn't know exactly how many. <laughs> you know, it's not yeah, as if right. it's something to be um, ignored. Or, but uh, I do. I've always liked what you say. It reduces, though. He, we tend to, if we are doing it, reduce people to a number. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's an Adventures in Odyssey episode called A Name, Not a Number. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, we tend, and, and when we do just attach numbers to people, we tend to reduce them to, to that and yeah. not think of them more. You become, well, you, maybe, you become yeah. your driver's license number or your social security right, number or your, or your tax ID number, number mm-hmm, or your this right. number. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it does make sense that especially on a kind of a national or political some, a scale of that, mm-hmm. that to always remember, and especially if it's coming from the leadership, you know, to always remember these are people, they're not numbers. Um, so that, that always yeah, very good that made sense there. to me. Chapter 24, then, we jump from that mistake to the consequences of this census that David talked, is that mm-hmm. it, it's interesting. I, I remember when I was a kid, sometimes um, um, the the we have a dorm parent, you know, you do something wrong, you're going to get a, a paddling or a, you know, a little spanking. And, and the uh, dorm parent might say, uh, go back in the backyard and pick out a switch. You know, I'm going to have to give you a little spanking. Uh, go, yeah. So I'd go back and I'd pick the tiniest the little tiny switch little. I could find. <laughs> but but David here, God in a sense says to him, mm-hmm. you get to choose your punishment. Go pick out your switch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, yeah. And he had three choices, uh, famine on the land, war, mm-hmm. Or uh, uh, some kind of a disease, some kind of a virus, COVID, maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which one would you choose? And he chose the disease, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and you can see why in chapter 24. He gives his reasons. But the, the 70,000 people died. So David's yeah. sins, David's <laughs> failures, whether it, whether it was this one of the senses or the greater, you know, the adultery or the killing of Uriah the Hittite, David's sins and failures uh, he owned up to them, and he confessed them, and he he received God's forgiveness. It, it's clear his testimony is, and we understand that he he experienced the forgiveness of God, but it didn't do away with all the consequences of those sins and failures. And uh, yeah. this, this is a, a part of that, I guess, is that uh, the the nation suffered uh, on, uh, because right. of the leader, the sins of the leader. And, uh, right. and, of course, and of course, he suffered the, the consequences for his adultery and so on as well. Very interesting uh, chapter there, where it talks about chapter twenty-four, when he chooses his own switch, he gets to choose his own punishment. Then we have the story about our 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 Yeah, there you go, our Arauna, the uh, threshing floor. He buys the threshing floor to offer a sacrifice to God, and that ended the three-day plague which killed 70,000 people. But he purchased this from uh, Arauna, and 
who wanted to give it to him. He wanted to give, and that that threshing floor that he purchased uh, became the site of the temple many years later under Solomon's reign. That Aaron's threshing floor became the site of the temple where it was built. And uh, and it's the same place where Abraham offered Isaac back in Genesis 22. So it's a very historic site, um, Mount Moriah, I think it was called. But but David's reason he Arauna wanted to give him the property instead of selling it to him, but he says no, I don't want to offer to the Lord something that costs me nothing. And mm, I, I, yeah. that is a remarkable statement there. I've, yeah, yeah. There's some neat things that, that David, um, you, you know, you can you can see, uh, like you said, his mighty men and kind of a man's man, and and these qualities of humility, I think that um, that come from him, and and he even, you know, cries out to the Lord, you know, don't don't harm them, people. They're innocent. I'm the one that yeah. has sinned against you and then and then of course you and then you see him say something like this of i don't want to give to the lord what costs me nothing these little moments of um yeah from david that are really that you can see kind of that man after god's own heart yeah see that coming through yeah that's that's a very good uh, observation i i I Mm -hmm. think uh yeah uh, but the truth is quite often our sins and failures uh our Anger tantrums, our selfishness, our greed, our the bad decisions we make in life, like it or not, they affect the people around us and they affect our families and they affect mm-hmm. we all have some sphere of influence of relationships and uh, others too are affected both positively and negatively, I suppose, by our own actions as we bounce around here, we're bumping into other people and in this world and our our lives do indeed have uh, an influence beyond just our own individual selves and maybe that's a little bit of a reminder of that principle uh, maybe that can serve to motivate us to be more faithful more obedient and trusting in our walk with God and then finally I, I think I would observe that uh, after David had his guilty conscience and that led him to ask God's forgiveness for his sin uh, God called another prophet. The first prophet that corrected him was named Nathan. Remember, you're the man. You're the one. That, yeah. that Now he spend, uh, sends another prophet named Gad, and Gad is the one that tells him that you can choose from these three punishments what it is. But uh, just that reminder of how God's men, these prophets that we're going to be reading about throughout the rest of the New Testament, uh, through the rest of the uh, Hebrew Scriptures, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and so on, all of these prophets, the major and minor prophets that we'll be reading about, we uh, we have to realize that they were, they were quite courageous. These men that God called to ministry, and they were faithful and obedient, and, and He often gave them a sphere of influence uh, very wide. In fact, is even lasting to thousands of years later. We're reading the words of Isaiah and Jeremiah and, and Amos mm-hmm. and Obadiah and Hosea and so on. And and so these, but they had to. They were courageous. Uh, they they weren't perfect by any stretch. They had their own fault, but they were courageous to, to confront powers, the king and others, the people themselves, and uh, with the truth and remind folks of the truth 
of God's word and the, the God's faithfulness to carry out his redemptive plan. And so that's uh, it's just a re- just a reminder. This man named Gad, a uh, simple little reminder of of God's faithfulness to use call him. And we, you know, I've thought about this, Stace, that. Mm-hmm. Uh, if God would, if whatever God might do in America and for America in response to men and women's prayers, I know that we are a nation that uh, I think almost anyone you converse with, uh, pastors or folks who are sincere and, and un, about their faith and serious about following God and trusting God, uh, so many today are concerned for America that we're headed the totally wrong direction, that we, oh, not just now, but we've been spiral away from God, away from the, the faith of our founding fathers. Not that they were all believers or perfect. That's not the point. But the nation undoubtedly, undeniably was founded on uh, the, the redemptive plan of God, the understanding of scriptures, and it kind of flowed mm-hmm. out of the the, uh, the, the, the you know, the translation of the scriptures to the common language mm-hmm. and so on, and, and the, the, the this nation was blessed by God in that way. And there was an era when, when the 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 social consensus was right. a great deal aligned with the biblical view of God and biblical view of, mm-hmm. of how we should live. But we seem to mm-hmm. recognize that we're moving away from that, and we have moved away. And a lot of people wonder what's what's coming next. What mm-hmm. what is going to happen? Mm-hmm. And I, I've often th- I can begin to see a little bit more clearly now. I think what what undoubtedly will come our way. Uh, we have still a path to repentance and turning back to God. Uh, it, it could happen, but one of the things I, I would I would kind of look for it, for God God would raise up a, a prophet. God would raise up a leader, a, a man of God uh, or a woman of God, a leader who would. Uh, who would be able to, uh, in some ways, God would give favor that would be a, a general, a broad acknowledgement, and, and, and that might lead uh, God's people in the nation um, back to whatever that might take to repentance and transformation and change of direction. Now, I don't know that that will happen, but I would expect that would be when God acts in history. Uh, and we see these great movements of God, uh, whether it was Hezekiah during his reign, he led people, uh, Josiah, young, this young uh, eight-year-old king who took the throne, and as a teenager led the nation to revival. Uh, when God does uh, revive his people, he usually calls a person, uh, not a perfect person, but someone he raises up, and they are used by him like the prophets were used to sound the alarm and to give the instructions and the guidance to return uh, the, to uh, honoring God and obeying God and repent. You know, the, the, that's all we've been, a lot of us have been praying for that. But I think we should be kind of uh, perhaps looking for that person, that, that leader that God might rise up that would galvanize the faith and trust and longings that uh, of so many of his people. I don't know that for sure, but... I, I kind of gathered that I, it's kind of been my thinking through these last few weeks about where we are as a nation and what what we might be looking for if indeed there, revival is going to be an option and returning um, to God. There could be, we, we, I think we would need that leader 
I don't know. Any thoughts uh, from you on that? Maybe some of our listeners have a thought about that as well. I don't know. 210-340-9585. That's our phone number. Maybe you'd like to talk about that just a bit and, and uh, what it might take for America to, to experience revival and repentance. Okay, we can move now, I think, from our considerations of Second Samuel, uh, kind of close the book on, the, on those two books of history, First and Second Samuel, the, the period and time of this transition person, Samuel, from the time of the priest to the time of the prophets, from the times of the judges to the time of the kings. Samuel is a remarkable individual. We've enjoyed our consideration of, of that book and, and, and his life and mm-hmm. experiences. Let's go to the Gospel of John now. What, uh, For one, uh, the, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and the Gospel of John is not uh, a, a, one of the oh. synoptic Gospels. And I wanted to, in case somebody, there could be young believers listening and, and they're just kind of getting into the Bible and the church, and the pastor may mention the synoptic Gospels and, and that and the John is not and so on. So I kind of wanted to clarify just even that term because it does highlight a unique uh, a unique thing about the Gospel of John. Do you want to handle that, Stace? Do you, what do you, you have some clarity on why are Matthew, Mark, and Luke called synoptic Gospels and John is not? You want to handle that or give it a shot? I, well, I'll do real brief. I mean, my my just general uh and then you you can take the more specific, but um, the way I just it, it's synoptic um, synonyms, you know, meaning same and similar. Uh-huh. And so I think Matthew, Mark, and Luke follow a kind of a similar um, similar approach. A similar. And, and, how about this? Mm-hmm. A similar a similar optic. Ah, a similar. Oh, oh, really? Synoptic. Yeah. A, ah, a similar point. Of, a similar view. Yes. Uh-huh. Point of view from. Uh huh. Yeah. Perspective and and uh, and then and then John does does not. Um, and and I guess the more specifically in the ways that he doesn't, I guess, would be maybe. Would you say the Christ, his approach to the. Well, really, just his 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 whole. It's not. It's more than just style, but it's also style. Uh-huh. Um, his his style is is different. Kind of his time. I don't know if timeline, but um, yeah, the timeline is different as well. Mm-hmm. You're exactly mm-hmm. right there. Matthew, yeah. Mark, and Luke. Okay. T- they tend to. They, they in some ways we see that they have they have a generally the same chronology uh, generally mm-hmm. the same timeline the period and they do seem. To borrow, they cover some of the same events. They borrow from each other in a sense of covering the same events. They don't. They may have a, their own unique perspective of the event, the slightly different mm-hmm. emphasis in each case. But they 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 tend to have been kind of developed in some ways together. Whereas John, he covers a different time span than the others. He he. Uh, locates much of Jesus' ministry, not so much in, in Capernaum in the northern, but he talks about his ministry in Judea, down in Jerusalem a little bit more. And he portrays Jesus' this, his discourses, more of his discourses and speaking at length, sp- particularly those that, that are, are kind of on a, on a more profound theological level about his own, the nature of of the Messiah, the the that 
you know, his own deity. Uh, he speaks to that. Uh, uh, he speaks to the idea that God, the God, the creator of the universe, becomes a man. Uh, you know, how does that work? And, you know, so, so Jesus kind of helps clarify how that happened, how we can understand that. And so uh, that's why we think of John as being more, a little bit more theological in that sense mm-hmm. than some of the other right. Gospels. Well, there's our music. I guess we've got to take our uh, final break here and prepare for our final segment. We'll focus on the Gospel of John, chapters 1 through 9, which we read this past week. And uh, we would invite you to join with us in our discussion or uh, uh, sharing some of these things. 210 340 9585, and I will repeat my question to you about what made Jesus different from every other human being. We'll be right back. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice. You're listening to the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. That the Lord has made. Come and rejoice. We will rejoice and be glad. Woo! Yeah. I like those uh, songs where it starts out kind of rather simply. And then that bass comes in and boom, you know, it kind of yeah, moves into the guitar into the, yeah. playing a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And they, you get the rhythm going and so on. That's great. Good choice of song. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And it is a special day. It is Palm Sunday. So we can... This is the day Oh, okay. Now I understand what you were trying to tell me, John. I get it. I'll get it on out. Well, we are back, Stacy. This is our final segment. So if we got anything to say, we got to get it said in this segment. And if our listeners want to tune in, anybody want to join with us and share uh, some insight, some thoughts, some question, we would welcome them. This is their final chance as well. 210-340-9585. I put the question out there for you folks. And we're turning our attention now to the the non-synoptic gospel of John, who uh, takes uh, a, a unique perspective of the Messiah, uh, maybe slightly more theological, not to say that the other books are not theological. They are very profound. But uh, John uh, speaks to the theology of the uh, incarnation, the Messiah, the Christology. Remember, the word Christ, Christ comes from the Greek Christo, it, it, it's not his last name, Jesus Christ. You know, Sam Jones, uh, Soapy Dollar. Uh, it's not. It, it's. It, you know, I feel like I'm obligated to say this. Uh, it's his title, uh, Jesus Messiah. When you say Messiah, Jesus, I, I've taken to say Jesus the Messiah or Messiah Jesus just because I want people to understand that that, that that's what you're saying when you say Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus the Messiah. Uh, this long-awaited, predicted Redeemer, Savior, Hero that God is going to raise up and in, into human history, who would who would be 
the Lamb of God, as John the Baptist calls him in the first John chapter one, verse twenty nine, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, and so we have, and that's why John chose the song tonight, Agnes Day. Uh, hallelujah. Remember uh, that we heard earlier? That, that is the title, Agnes Day, which means Lamb of God, um, just for our listeners' benefit. I know you already knew that, right, Stace? Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Well, I'm anyway, sure. we're, com- we're coming <laughs> to our consideration of the Gospel of John. Um, and so we, we could give a little bit of the background of the Gospel, uh, its writing and so on. It's, its author is John, one of the two brothers, the sons of Zebedee, uh, James and John. Uh, they were fishermen. He came from a family of fishermen. He is never mentioned by name in the gospel he penned, but he but he does mention himself, identifying him as the man, the the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is very particularly interesting. John may have a, may have had a unique sort of a intimacy or a relationship with Savior with Jesus in a way. Uh, it is thought that he was the youngest of the twelve probably as young, perhaps even as 12 to 14 uh, of the 12 disciples. Uh, only It looks like only Peter was uh, 20 and o- was over 20 because he is the one, remember when Jesus finds the, the coin to pay taxes for his disciples, it's only uh, he and Peter that right. give, the coin is given for. So it is thought that Peter, the others were teenagers, but uh, John being perhaps the youngest of them. It may have been that Jesus had a little bit of a preference or a special concern for the youngest of the 12, his 12 disciples or students. Uh, and so it could have been part of it. It gives the Gospel of John here sort of a tender quality, though, uh, and, and a little bit of a more intimate, tender insight into uh, the Messiah, into Jesus. And also, it, he writes his gospel. Uh, it completes and augments the previous gospels. The, this is the latter of the gospels. Remember, John lived to a ripe old age. Uh, he was uh, uh, exiled to Mount uh, to to the island the island of Patmos. Uh, he was a a, cha- a pastor to the church in Ephesus for many years, uh, and he. Uh, is the author of the the book of the Revelation that we read at the end of the New Testament, um, but he he his gospel kind of completes augments the previous gospels. Um, his audience is the first century believer, who likely faced persecution and uh, rival world views world views as Christianity spread throughout the world uh, under the other uh, disciples and of course uh, the Apostle John. Uh, I mean, I saw Paul. So uh, we have, uh, John is very interesting, uh, theological, uh, he talks about uh, Jesus and clearly identifies, as do the other apostles, but Jesus, but John more clearly uh, identifies him as God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, without him was not anything made that was made. Uh, and he goes on in that chapter one of the Gospel of John. So many have memorized 
those verses, and we know that the word, he identifies that the word is, he's talking about uh, the verb, he's talking about the uh, God in action, he's talking about the Messiah, the the incarnate Son of God. He, he says that in verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. And so we have... Um, that's a quality. And, of course, we have these great I am's in the book of John who we want to be looking uh, out for as well. This I am statements. As we know, I am is a very powerful word in, in uh, Scripture. Remember when Moses asked uh, God, who do I tell the, the Egyptian leader? Who do I tell the people that sent me to say, let my people go? And he says, I am. God identifies himself with those words. I am, I am what I will be, what I will be. I am. Uh, and so uh, um, we see these great I am statements about Jesus. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true grapevine. Uh, and, and so these are very, very important. The date of, of the gospel there are not many indicators of when John composed his account. Uh, we think it was probably written before his epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John at the end of the New Testament, and before the book of the Revelation. Uh, it may have been written as late as 90 A.D., but most likely it was before the fall of Jerusalem, which is a big, big event that is not referenced and spoken of in lack, in light of the lack of the, a reference to that cataclysmic event, uh, so it thinks we think the gospel was probably written between um, A.D. sixty and A.D. seventy. Not that long, of course, like all the gospels, after the life and death and resurrection and ascension of the Messiah uh, in, in, in the early thirties. So this is quite quite early. Uh, in the writing, and that gives us a little background of it. But um, anything you want to add just to the overall perspective of the gospel, Stace? Anything that you've picked up over the years, or from your old grandpa, from your old daddy, and maybe there's something, <laughs> maybe you some you remember something that I've forgotten. <laughs> oh well, I think the things. Um, well, one, of course, probably the most famous verse in the whole Bible was yeah. written mm-hmm. by John, John 3.16. Yes, right this is John. Um, but it wasn't, it's interesting, then, though, that some people don't realize it's written by John, but it was spoken by Jesus himself. Yes, uh-huh. Um, and that was, and that, is that in the conversation with Nicodemus? Exactly right, right. yeah. And that's what I, I think, I think John, um, his that must have been a very powerful and a very interesting, um, it seems like John understood that and captured that and wrote about that um, so beautifully. It feels like that might have been a very transformative or an especially moving um, moment or period for, for John, yeah. his understanding of who Christ is. Um, I noticed- and I love... Oh, I'm sorry. What were you going to say you love? That's more important. Well, I just, that's one of my favorite um, conversations and favorite passages in all, in all of the Gospels. Mm-hmm. Um, just that 
between him and Nicodemus and that understanding, it's a, it's just a very special passage and a special moment. If, um, people, if people are not aware, we've we've talked about this before and, and sort of recommended, although we don't do that really that often, but uh, folks, if you have not viewed a series of, uh, I, I don't know if they would, are they hour-long episodes or TV? I don't oh, know I what it is. I think most people would have heard of it. Yeah, The Chosen. And, um, it's yeah, called the, the, the Chosen. You can actually yeah. uh, Google that, the Cho- and you can download the app. It's a remarkable series about uh, Jesus, and particularly about in the, in the era, the time of his ministry, when he is choosing his disciples and followers. I've noticed, and, and it takes some artistic, but they're not artistic just to be artistic. they they build on the biblical character, what we know of individuals, and they build a somewhat a little bit of a background narrative uh, about the, the the chosen, about the disciples, and that God mm-hmm. that Jesus chose to follow him, and about their personalities and their backgrounds. That these are James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and you meet Zebedee and his wife, and you meet them. You see them at work on the on the on Sea of Galilee, along with Peter, and so on. So you, it is a remarkable series, and I noticed that in their background, uh, the night Jesus goes to meet with Nicodemus, um, in this in this very important, I mean, and it's spoken of here in chapter three of, of the Gospel of John. We often wondered, <coughs> what do, how do we know what Jesus and Nicodemus spoke about? I mean, that's that would have been a kind of a an intimate personal conversation. <clears throat> I'm sorry. And in there, in, in in the movie, the chosen, I don't know if you picked up on this detail. Uh, when Jesus goes out into the streets of, uh, to meet with, with him, with uh, Nicodemus, it is, yeah. it is John that, who goes, accompanies Jesus to kind of be a, you know, not a, not a bodyguard, but a, a company, you know, protect him, be with him. John is the disciple that kind of goes with him on that particular appointment. And, mm-hmm. and and the idea is that John may have overheard the conversation. And mm-hmm. and therefore that's how we have this a record of that conversation. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. Which I found mm-hmm. uh, I mean that's that's plausible and <laughs> is a possible uh explanation. But here uh, John records that, that conversation. Now in the early yeah. chapters one and two you have his Beginning there, you have the the first miracle of Jesus in chapter two when he is oh, yeah. uh, when he uh, comes out of his uh, anonymity. Uh, he's mm-hmm. you know the son of a carpenter and he's taking care of his mother and and it seems like his father may have uh, Nicod- um, Joseph may have died early in life and Jesus as the older son has a responsibility of caring for his mother and and his siblings his brothers and sisters he did have other. Uh, uh, siblings, Mary had other children, and and so um, and we told that clearly in Scripture. So Jesus has a responsibility with them, but there comes a time and a moment when uh, it's his mother, evidently in the wedding at Cana, that in some ways uh, kind of nudges her son toward his public ministry, um, mm-hmm. and, and that's also that is. Uh, presented in the chosen in a very beautiful way, I thought. Yeah, I w- yeah. I, in the first season, I will say, yeah, those two accounts. I think that those are the best um, 
artistry in terms of artistic license or how they interpreted and how they conveyed those two uh well, don't the, forget the, the third the wedding, one. Would, the, the third one would be the the woman at the well in chapter four. Oh yeah, that one's really good too. The the whole first season's really good. Yeah. <laughs> Just watch the whole first season. Yeah, okay. that's right. It is good. Um, but yes, the the I love that the the um, the first that he didn't feel necessarily his time had come that he was ready, but his mom because maybe and it's maybe it's because I my firstborn is a son and so I particularly yeah, yeah, love yeah. that the mom his mom had that influence and that Jesus was respectful and was considerate of his mother and that his mom had asked this of him and so he says, okay, mom. <laughs> Well, of all I just the human think that's beings, really neat. yeah, of all the human beings that surrounded Jesus, including his uh, mm-hmm. disciples, mm-hmm. Uh, it was Mary who, mm-hmm. not just because you know she had born him as a child, but Mary knew uh, in a in yeah. a way more prof- perhaps more profoundly, she knew mm-hmm. who he was. She. She mm-hmm. realized that this was the Messiah, that he was supernatural because she knew that she, he, the circumstances of his birth, although they're not right. clearly outlined here in the Gospel of John, she knew that he was not born by normal human conception, but by the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus, I mean, Mary knew uh, who he was the Messiah, and I suppose she was in some ways puzzled about how it was going to play out, what was the role of the Messiah, how the Messiah was going to live his life, and what was he going to be a commanding general, or he come take over the Roman Empire? Was he going to mm-hmm. this or that or the other? I'm not, I'm not sure how completely she understood. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing she was watching it unfold as well. And watched her son as he grew from a toddler to a, a child, and then a young person, an adolescent, you know, teenager, and so on. And through the years, uh, she watched him, knew him as no one else did. Uh, it, it had to be a very remarkable relationship. And then, yes, mm-hmm. she is the one who gently nudges her son into that perfect. It's time, you know. My time has not come, mm-hmm. mother. Well, maybe it has, you know. Mm-hmm. Very interesting, right. uh, and I like the way it, it, it's presented there in in a plausible way at a wedding. Uh, it's often, yeah. of course, we preach about it, you know, at a wedding. It makes weddings so important. It raises the level and the importance of the marriage of a man and a woman because Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's where he chose to begin his ministry. That's where he began yeah. to. He he went public with his role and his person as the Messiah. Now, I have a question out there for our listeners that, okay, now, God became a man. Okay, we we, we believe that the, the, the eternal Son of God, with all the attributes of deity, omnipotent, omniscient, uh, and you know, just and holy and loving and every uh, the the infinite being who created the the entire world uh, actually takes on flesh becomes a man the infinite becomes finite the the eternal becomes temporal uh, the end the totally absolutely independent being who needs no one uh, the the three the father the son the spirit. Uh, they are they're locked in a an eternal relationship 
of love for one another, of their character, of their intent and their purpose, the design that they have, uh, and in their their action, they they have been locked in this relationship, uh, the three persons of the Godhead, eternally in a perfect, so perfectly united in one in in all those ways that I mentioned, and perhaps even others we can't even dream of that we can clearly and honestly and truthfully understand that they are one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, one God. We're not polytheists. We believe in one God, the creator uh, of everything that exists. And yet we see clearly and undeniably in Scripture there are three distinct persons. It's a miracle of relationship which is really exciting to discover and know because uh, we understand that that is what God is calling us into a, a relationship with him. Uh, the, the preacher that spoke, uh, uh, Randall Draper, during our break said, mm-hmm. Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. And that mm-hmm. is so true that God is calling us into the, that harmonious oneness relationship that he enjoyed with God the Father and the Holy Spirit from all eternity past. We see that in John chapter 17. We'll, we'll read that when we get to that chapter, that Jesus even prays, Father, help bring them into that loving, oneness, harmonious relationship that you and I have enjoyed mm-hmm. forever. That's part of his plan for us as his people is that we will be one brought into that oneness relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and with each other as the people of God, that oneness relationship. Mm-hmm. Not that we become God, but we come into that that relationship. And it's a, such a powerful word that it needs, and, and John really highlights that because his book is to a great degree about relationships uh, with God himself. Now, I do have to answer the question before our time gets away. Uh, In what way? If Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, as we're told in Scripture, and believe that he was a miraculous conception, he is a new race of humanity. He is a last, a a second Adam. And so he's he's a a new Adam, the firstborn of the twiceborn. He's the prototype of the human believer, the child of God. And because of his success at living out a perfect life of faith and trust and submission and obedience to the Father, he he does what Adam was unable to do. He lived the perfect life. He resisted all temptation, tempted in every way just as we are, as the book of Hebrews says, but he never sinned. Uh, in God against the Lord. And then he who knew no sin became sin for us. The point I wanted to make, though, is if if you're trying to digest that truth about how did the infinite God become a finite human being, Paul talks about it in Philippians chapter 2 and others allude to it, uh, how how that happened. How did God become a man? Uh, uh, It's not that a man became God. God took on flesh, humbled himself, and the point is, is we were created as people. We were created in God's image. We we are we are not infinite, but we are uh, body, soul, and spirit. We are intellect, emotion, and will. And so, what when Jesus took on flesh, it was not a changing of whole entire type. He he, we were created in God's image. It was a it was a miracle of limitation. He humbled himself. 
and freely left off the free exercise of his divine prerogatives, initiatives, and authority as God, and he walked in through life. And I want to read a couple of verses to you. This is very important verses in chapter 5, verse 19. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. I remember as a young boy reading that, Stacy. And I would read that, and i go, what in the world could that mean? He's the son of God. He could do anything he wanted. And yet Jesus himself says, I can do nothing by, him, by myself. I do only what the, I see the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son does. Father loves the Son and shows him everything he is doing and guides him. So Jesus himself is saying that that was the miracle of the incarnation is that uh, he he was God. He never ceased being God, but he left off voluntarily, the, as Paul explains in Philippians chapter 2, the free exercise of his divine prerogatives and initiatives as God and humbled himself and walked under the submission, perfect submission, obedience, and dependence upon the Father, uh, the role of the perfect man. And he did it successfully. Uh, and part of the reason he said on the cross, it is finished. I did it. It's over. I accomplished it. I did it. And then he who knew no sin took on the sin, became sin for us. And that, and in verse 31, he says the same thing. I can do nothing of my own. I judge as God tells me. Therefore, my judgment is just. So uh, I wanted to put that out there because it's a really wonderful presentation and understanding of our Christology, even as we enter now the Gospel of John. Thank you, honey, for joining me tonight. Kiss the baby, Ellie. Kiss kiss my grandson for me. Kiss that husband of yours. (laughs) Folks, we'll see you next Sunday night, Easter Sunday. Have a great, great week. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 930 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The The Bible Bible Live Quiz Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and the Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.